Ronda Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the teen, your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low and your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, Lorenzo? Fantastic. It's Fantastic. beautiful out there, actually. It is beautiful oh, out. Yeah. And we're ending the uh, busiest month or we've had in four years. Right, right, uh, right. Honestly, and the busiest week we've had in well over a year um it was oscars week and there was a lot of content and a lot of discussion yeah, very exciting yes uh very happy to see that the red carpet is back in a big and explosive way and i can tell that it's not limited to um just the award season like right 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 we had that uh sandra bullock post today with they're Channing, back. They're Channing back. T- they're back. They're, it, people are dressing hard for the red carpet again which it, is fun to see and it's funny because i was getting the pictures because i always go in and try to get the best pictures and the picture with the three of them you know hugging and stuff and i'm like oh my god they're hugging people are hugging yeah people are hugging yeah <laughs> and, people and I'm aren't like, wearing oh, all right they're back hugging and, and you know touching each other so i'm like oh my god that's so weird to see that i meant more the fashion stuff but. no but i mean i mean yeah but the whole thing like right. being able to travel to go to europe because they're in in london that kind of stuff yeah um i agree i totally agree um but so uh, we are going to talk about the Oscars because we would do that any year post Oscars. We would probably have some sort of wrap up on our podcast. But this year, it is the most discussed Oscars, uh, I think, in the entire period we've been covering them, which is close to 15 years now. Um and I accept that a lot of people are tired of hearing about it. They're tired of talking about it. And what I'm specifically referring to, in case you're listening to this 500 years from now in outer space, uh, <laughs> Will Smith slapped Chris Rock on stage at the Oscars after Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith's baldness, and she has alopecia. And we all know the story. So we're going to talk a little bit about the event, but not... Um, <sighs> Actually, what I want to talk about, I don't know if this is going to be the title of this podcast, because I think it's a little too, um, I don't know. But it's not the slapping, it's the clapping. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the reaction to this. Um, so many people have tried to unpack the, the event itself, like Will and, and Chris and right. the history there. And, you know, sides were taken almost immediately. Uh, um, you know what? We said we were, weren't going to talk about this first, but... I guess we are talking about this so, first. Yeah. What yeah, do you let, want to do? Let, let's start with the heavy stuff. And then All right, we'll, we'll start with the, the heavy point. stuff. I promise we're keeping it light. And after this, we're going to talk about um, uh, the first three episodes of HBO Max's series, Julia, which dropped this week, uh, about um, Julia Child and her development of, of her legendary TV show, The French Chef. And uh, um, I'm really looking forward to that conversation because I am a lifelong devotee I know you of are. Mrs. Child and you have done a lot of research you've listened to the podcast and everything about remember, the show podcast I remember dating when you you had the book or something but you used to talk <clears throat> about the book all the time yeah we can talk about yeah we'll get into that okay so back to the Oscars um we're not getting into the Will, Chris, Jada story. Like I said, there were there were have been a, a million hot takes on the whole thing, and um, uh, the fact of the matter is, most of them are keeping their mouths relatively shut. Will has released a uh, an apology, yeah. and Jada has said, you know, she released a statement on Instagram that said it's a time for healing. And the only thing we know from Chris Rock is that he went out on stage for a comedy tour this week and basically said, "I'm I'm still processing this." Um, as we all are, <laughs> as we all are. And I, um, I'm not going to come down on anything here. Uh, Will, 
uh, it's pretty clear that Will and uh, Chris have a long history. Chris has, uh, there's a lot of video compilations that went out this week showing that Chris has been making fun of Jada going back to the 90s. Really? Oh, yeah. There's not, a, not making fun of them, but her specifically. Ba- basically her, going huh. after her. There's a lot of jokes he makes at Jada's expense, and they're going back to the 90s. Um, so uh, there's context there that mm-hmm. I don't even know about. I also want to acknowledge that there are... Um, undertones of this whole interaction that as white people we're, we're probably not in a really good position to unpack them there's there's right. been a lot of rhetoric about um the the way black women are treated uh, at award shows and uh the way that and you know there was a lot of there were a lot of essays tying it to um Katanji Brown Jackson's uh, confirmation hearings where, you know, there were right, people right. who were tired of seeing black women get attacked right. on television. Um, again, these are all things that I'm like, yeah, I, that's not the stuff I want to unpack because I think there are better, there are people better equipped to talk about that stuff than I am. It's not our place to talk about these issues. I mean, you know, and we they're all valid. Two white guys talking they're about they're all they're valid. totally valid. They're all valid. But I uh, want to. I just wanted to acknowledge right, them. Right, right. And Go I ahead. read them, and I learned a lot. I did too, as I always do. Um, and I appreciate that they're out there. And you know, sometimes things like that happen so that we can focus on something more serious and, and important, like right. you know, the way black women are treated. Exactly. Uh, and then there, um, I just want to acknowledge the other um, side of the debate, which is acknowledging that Will Smith um, claiming that this was an act of love is, you know, a problematic statement in a lot of ways. And it right. it's what abusers say to uh, justify a lot of their actions. I'm not accusing him of being an, an abuser. I'm just right. saying there's probably... Just there's, triggered, triggered yeah. a lot of... of, of I, I read them on, on Twitter. I mean, Exactly. So there's, you know, problems coming at it from both sides. And it's that's not what we're talking about today. As people who have written a book about celebrities, have spent the last 15 years writing about celebrities and podcasting about them. I do want to talk about how and why they have reacted the way they have to this. Specifically, the the clapping, the standing ovation, the partying at Vanity Fair that night. And I'm actually going to wind up, I think, defending a few things about how the the whole situation was handled. But Mm -hmm. what do you, uh, before we, you know, what do you think? Uh, the short version, short answer is that I, I, I'm appalled that he did what he did. That's the short answer. Um, but I understand why everything happened, uh, to a certain extent. Right. But I still think that it was just not the right thing to do because it, it, uh, yes, he, his explanation, I guess, is that he was defending his family and and his, his wife. And I understand that, but you should know better as a public figure as someone who uh, has worked with the public your entire career, your entire right. life, you're surrounded by people telling what to do and what not to do. Right. Uh, you know better. I mean, we're nothing compared to these people, but I watch what I tweet. I watch what I say. Right. You know, I mean, because I, I, I'm afraid of the consequences right. of or being misinterpreted or whatever. Um, so he should know better. Uh, and... I do think... I and just, it was terrible. Just to finish here, no, it was ahead. terrible for everyone involved, I think. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Williams family, for example. Right. And the people who uh, won the award right after the whole thing happened. I mean, we weren't even looking at them. or Quest focusing Love, on them. Yeah. yeah, it's Quest Love. Uh, won for his incredible documentary. And, um, and Chris uh, Rock actually said that he was so thrilled to be there to give his friends, because apparently they're friends, um, the Oscar 
hand hand the hit friend the Oscar, and none of that happened because we were so focused on trying to figure out what the heck had happened. Um. Uh. Yes, uh, all of that is true, and all that I agree with. Um. Uh. Now I want to get into the reactions of it and the way people have been talking about it um, all week long. Number one is. We are at a stage, and I feel like I need to address this because it's Friday of the the week this happened, and we're at that stage in the discourse where everyone's like, everyone just needs to shut up. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, I understand that because there has been just an avalanche of bad takes this week, but I do want to defend our weighing in on this to a certain extent by saying, you know, at the same time everyone's saying shut up, the story's trending every single day on social media. It is Mm -hmm. driving the news all week long. And we can talk about why, of course, there are more important things. Of course, there are more important things in the world than this. Right, right. But um, I just want to note Nothing like that had ever happened before. Right, right. That is still, uh, and I, I want to acknowledge that there were a lot of stupid and somewhat racist overreactions to this. Judd Apatow said he could have killed him. He tweeted out, you know, Will could have co- killed um, Chris, Chris Rock. Rock. Yeah. Like Will Smith, McCoy, and then there was a really, a tweet that went viral until I think it was deleted by a doctor who's, who said, what if she, he had gone up there and slapped Betty White what? and then she fell down and hit her head <laughs> oh and died. Oh my God. And it's one of those things where um, they, white people owe overemphasize um, the prowess of black people in mm-hmm. order to make them seem more threatening. So I want to acknowledge all of that. that and all of that is true. But um, it wasn't an uncommon thing to hear this week from all over, all over. Journalists were saying it, celebrities were saying it, uh, people on social media were saying it, that like they either couldn't sleep that night or they woke up agitated the following right, morning. Right. And, of course, people went and made fun of that, and there was a lot of uh, over, you know, calling people Karens and that sort of thing. But um, it was a common reaction, and I don't think it's—I think it's defensible. And I think you can defend it by saying, if you think this was some incredible act of violence that you can't get over, yes, that's an overreaction, and it's a silly one. But it was unsettling because, and I said to you before we turned on the mics, I was like, the only thing I can relate it to is, what if you're at a wedding and someone just storms up to the altar and slaps the best man or something? It's not going to send you into therapy or anything like that, but it will unsettle the hell out of you because you're in a setting or or you're watching something where that has never happened. You would never expect it to happen. I mean, the Oscars is one of the most watched show on on you know in the world yeah. the whole world people yeah, stay up late to watch it or get up early depending on where they are right um and but they yeah it, everyone watched the the right. oscar and and we're talking about major major mega famous hollywood stars right so you have a hollywood star uh walking on stage and slapping another one um, um that uh, is no matter yeah. what how much you might want to, how much you're sick of hearing about it, or you might want to play it down. That's still unprecedented. It's still a shocking right. thing to see on on live television that millions upon millions upon millions of people saw at the same time, worldwide. It doesn't even rate in my top fifty of violent things I have seen on television, oh my God, and yeah, I do I not agree. want to overemphasize it in that manner. But it was unsettling because you just don't expect it, which gets me to. Um, some of what, okay, so this is all week long, and this is partially why I think people are so sick of hearing about this. There has been a lot of ass-covering 
from everybody who was mm-hmm. in there. The thing is that we keep getting these new informa- bits conflicting of information, conflicting reports. Yeah, uh, uh, that the academy did this, they didn't do this, and they, you know, they asked him to leave, and right. no, no, they didn't. They didn't ask him to leave, uh, or the producer uh, convinced him to uh, stay because you know that's what and and not file any any, any charges because that's what Chris Rock wanted. Right, and apparently I mean, all these stuff. The LAPD out. was there right. to arrest him, and um. I don't know if any of that is true. I have right. no idea if any of that is true. If it, it sounds like a lot of ass covering, especially since um, the board of directors for the Academy had a Zoom meeting in which it came out that the the CEO and the president of the Academy had a separate Zoom meeting with Will Smith where he apologized to them, and then they kept it from the the board of directors. Like, there's all this ass oh, covering. Yes, and the thing is that we don't really know what happened that exact. Second, because, uh, you know, the, the, the TV froze. I mean, we right. couldn't see what was going well, on. Well, they played it live. You can see the video. They played yeah, it I live mean, overseas. Yes. I mean, they didn't cover any of the language. Yeah. And so, but it's interesting to be, and also because like everybody, everybody there and everybody watching didn't really know what was, what was going on. Here's what I want to get into. Okay. So there's first off videos, uh, and people think it's damning where you can see Will Smith, uh, laughing, laughing at the joke um, and then there's another video that came out a couple days later that um, is filmed from behind Jada where Will is coming back off stage after having slapped Chris Rock and she's clearly laughing, laughing. Mm-hmm. here's the thing oh and then there's even there was all these conspiracy theories that ran around that said the whole thing was staged because Chris Rock is smiling and leaning in as Will Smith approaches him. And all of this is explained by the same reaction we all had at that time, which was everyone but Will Smith thought it was a bit, Mm -hmm. including Jada and Chris Rock. For a split second, they both thought... And here's... Okay, and here's another reason why this is so unsettling to people. Will Smith has spent the last 30 years being this congenial, upbeat, one of the most likable stars out there, like a Tom Hanks level of support. And look, I understand the shit as a black man he probably had to go through to get himself to that level of stardom while making everyone like him. He had to swallow insane amounts of shit. I have no doubt of that. And he said as much. He had his biography came out uh, in, in November. Um... And he talks about... He talks about his abusive father and everything. This is why it's like there's so much here to unpack that I'm not really going to get into, but I will at least acknowledge it in the background of this discussion. However, back to my point, Will Smith, it was like watching Tom Hanks get up and slap someone. It's just not what you would expect. That Him, of all people, that's not what you would expect. And I think because everyone was laughing, we don't know, maybe Jada laughed just to kind of like cover it up a bit or or just like, I'm just going to laugh here. Yeah. I think everyone re- realized what was going on when he sat down and, and started saying, you know, exactly. don't don't keep your my, my wife's uh, because, name again, out of your mouth. You can hear the whole theater laughing, even as he's walking back to the his seat. Even after Chris Rock said, Will Smith just slapped the shit out of me, everyone's mm-hmm. laughing because it still seems like a bit. These are two of the leading comics of, right, you know, right, their generations. Right. Um I mean, and he said it twice, you know, to keep well, his that's mother, when everyone's I mean, mother, reaction, wife's name out of his mouth. Yeah, that's when everyone's reaction changed. That's when Lupita Nyong'o became a meme because her, her reaction behind him was, it was kind of funny. But um, I am not shocked that people clapped and laughed. I'm, and I don't think it indicts 
anybody that there's a split second, like there's a split second of Will laughing. You laugh when you're in an audience and you've got a camera on you and you don't, it doesn't register what that person said. And then, I don't know, maybe it, those people laugh when anything happens. Basically, uh, Whoopi said the same thing on The View this week where where she was, I don't think the standing ovation is as defendable or defensible as Whoopi makes it out to be. But she did say, you you know, you're in this situation and the next thing you know, you're on your feet clapping and you don't even know why because everybody else is doing it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Everyone involved, including the people in the theater, in the audience, um, I think they just wanted to get past something unpleasant as quickly as possible. And if you removed, if you edited that one act out, here was Will Smith getting his long-awaited-for Oscar. People wanted to just clap for Will Smith. I'm not defending it so much as explaining it as understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think the standing ovation is quite defendable, but I do understand the feeling of everybody in that room, we just need to get past this ugly thing because we all love Will and we all right, support, right. you know, that sort of thing. I, I, I have to mention, because it's ironic and funny, that uh, because we, I'm, I mentioned this the last uh, in the last podcast, that I got very stressed about the day and everything. So I, I took a nap with Daisy. And, our uh, cat. Uh, our cat, Daisy. Yeah, they know who Daisy is. Anyway. Our who, daughter. Who Daisy is. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, I was take, I was taking a nap with Daisy and I took a picture and I posted on Instagram and I said the 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 calm before the Oscar storm. I had no idea no. <laughs> that the storm was going to be really bad this year. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um yeah, and this is what I mean. Like everyone is still talking about it the following Friday and I I don't feel like that's completely unusual because it was unprecedented and now we're in this area where everyone's giving conflicting stories. So yes. We're all talking about it. Um, as for uh, like for what should happen to Will again, that's completely above my pay grade. It's not gonna, nothing's gonna but happen. They are not taking his Oscar no, away. No, of or, course no, not. Nothing's and, gonna happen because nothing happens to millionaires. That's uh, the bottom line. The thing here. is, there's a lot of people. His fellow millionaires are pushing for retribution of some right. form. Um, there are plenty of stars coming out saying that he should be, you know, suspended from the Academy or whatever. Right. Again, I don't, you know, I do feel, I feel badly for him that this happened, that he fucked up at the worst possible moment, that he let something get to him at the worst. Right. After 30 years of, you know, riding that straight line, trying to get to that point, and then he fucks up at that moment. I think he's clearly going through shit. Yes. I mean, there's something going if, on. If there. you really think about it, there's really something going on um, because. He, Everybody knew on this planet, everybody knew he was going to get the Oscar. Right. I mean, including him. How could you do that 30 minutes before it gets yes. handed to you? I mean, you knew something you were was win. going on there. there was, um, his his mind was racing yeah. or whatever. But, um, have, and I am really sympathetic. I'm also sympathetic to, and to a certain extent, to Chris Rock. I do think he's got a history of being cruel to her, and it just mm-hmm. it, it caught up with him. On the other hand, I. Uh, I, I don't think comics are sacrosanct. I, the way comics talk right, about right, right, themselves, right. like, oh, we we shine a light on society, and, and you know, nothing is off limits. That's not true. That's not true. I mean, you can go ahead and say shit, but there is you risk, you know, some sort of right. um, I mean, consequences for it. I just am not entirely uh, behind the idea that those consequences mean you should get slapped on stage. It 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 yeah it. 
comedy it's a bad it, it, precedent. It, 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 it's tricky. I remember watching um, Joan Rivers' uh, documentary, and and she made a joke. I think it was a cancer joke or something. About, she was known for them. I mean, she made all kinds of jokes about right. the Holocaust and everything. It was just you know out of control. Right. Uh, but she made a joke. Uh, they it was a footage of her uh, performing somewhere, and she made a joke. I think she made a joke about cancer. I don't. I can't remember. Or about something. And one person in the audience stood up and said, you know, my daughter goes through this or my daughter suffers, whatever she was joking about. And and, and it shook her. Um, and then later they shoot her, they see her um, talking about what happened and, you know, like how upset she was. It, it's complicated. As, it as a comedian, I think I it's mean, complicated to draw the line where, you know. Um, I don't know if there is a line, but I... I do agree that comedians should be able to tell their jokes um, without fear of violent, uh, you know, without any sort of fear of mm -hmm. assault on themselves. Uh, for the most part, I do believe that. I don't know if they were saying kill all the, the gays or something, I might think differently. Yeah, I mean, but is people, that a joke? That's not right. really a joke. Some people said that he didn't know about her condition, which I don't believe it. I well, mean, even if he didn't, yeah, um, he had a doc, he produced a documentary called Good Hair, which was all about black women's hair and the issues right. surrounding right. it. He really should not be doing that, right? Right. I realized that the joke itself was it wasn't actually an insult, he was comparing her to Demi Moore in G.I. Jane, right? And, right. I mean, to me, more who who thinks that's a bit like she was one of the most right. beautiful women of her generation. So, so I don't think he he just thought it was a funny. I'm right. not defending the joke. I, I'm not defending making fun of people with alopecia. But um, yeah, it's it's complicated. And for all we know, maybe it wasn't even that. It was just the fact that he was joking about his wife. Who knows? Anything? Like, anything a lot about of his history wife? There. Yeah, there's a lot of history there. Um, now. Uh, Will Packer, the uh, Oscar show producer, was on uh, Good Morning America this morning. And again, it was a huge ass covering interview. And I, I think I have to take a lot of what he was saying with a grain of salt. I couldn't even watch that. It was just, but yeah. as to the question of um, Will Smith being escorted out of the theater, I do not see how... They could do that. I just don't see how they could do that. First off, no one knew what Will's state of mind was in that moment. Right. And I don't want to overstate it, but what... I don't think Will would have gotten violent on camera, but the cameras would be on him while they tried right. to escort him out. And he had already slapped someone and screamed profanities, to, which is not done at the Oscars. So you're so, just going to arrest this man? And, okay, and, there's how bad would this go right. or how badly would this look on camera if he resisted in any way? Um, not to mention the optics. The right. optics. The, the Oscars have a nearly 100-year history of marginalizing or ignoring black creatives. Right. right. They don't reward them a lot. And Will Smith was going to enter into history that Is night the, as the fourth or fifth best actor, say, yeah. uh, black best mm -hmm. actor. So uh, how's that going to look? If you're arresting him, no. no. I mean, I really understand why he was not escorted out of the place because... There was no good way to do that that was going to be less than disaster. There was, it was always going to be disaster. And I think, in a more cynical way, if I may, the producers were loving the whole thing. That, no, I don't believe that at all. Who knows? I, I don't mean, believe he, that. They knew That's he was going to disaster. They knew he was going to win the Oscar. So, right. they, of course, everyone was waiting for that reaction to see. I don't think they were loving it in the moment. I think they were freaking the hell out. I guess. But anyway, um, I was waiting. I was like, oh my God, now he's going to win. And what is he going to say? What are going to people do? Yeah. Um, 
He gave one of the longest speeches in Oscar history, and it was, um, you know, in some ways a defense of his... Again, I don't really want to get into that. Uh, this is all going to be unpacked by better people than me right, to agree, unpack these things. But in terms of how it was handled and how people reacted, both real-world people and the celebrities themselves, I think so much of that is understandable given how surprising and shocking that... There are still people who think it was staged four or five days later. Right. Um, so I, I, that doesn't bother me. I think the partying at the Vanity Fair party is weird. I I think, I think they might've considered not letting him in, even though I think that is also problematic. At least it wouldn't have happened on camera. Listen, these people are famous for trying to cover any mess. Uh, so I, I, they circle the wagons. That's I under, what they do. Yeah, I understand his reaction at the party, but I, I've, I was a little uncomfortable watching him, uh, being dancing and, and clapping, hugging everybody and everybody has their phones up right. and, and he's just having singing. I, I guess he was singing all that's going on right. when, you know, half an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, again, <laughs> I, I I really wish Will could have had that victory night that right. he's been working for for so long. But the fact remains, you did that just before they handed you the trophy. And that's hard. It's hard to reconcile that image of you dancing, waving your Oscar over your head and dancing, right. you know, an hour after you did that. And again, I don't want to overstate it. He didn't kill someone. He didn't even punch someone. It was an open-handed slap. It's just that the the time and the place of that event was unprecedented and just wrong. Um, and it, I do feel as complicated as this is that um, there should be consequences of some sort. Right. And I do not believe taking it. I think that is a non-starter and I think it's a ridiculous idea to even consider taking his Oscar away. He won it. They voted for him. That's, you know, that's, he was the best actor I according think it's to the very... Academy. But um, suspending his membership at least for a year or two, that seems like the least they could do. That And that is a minor... Oh, we should mention that there's... Uh, Will and Jada's production company just signed a $60 million deal, and that may actually be in jeopardy, according to some insiders. Right. I do think his brand is is just... It's really badly damaged. It's really badly damaged. And it'll be interesting to see how Will and Jada, or Jada, I think, said that they're going to do a table talk, a red table talk, mm-hmm. um, which will be very controlled it, and it will be a PR exercise. <laughs> but um, I will, pff, we'll, we'll watch it, won't we? Everybody right. will watch it. Um, I think it's very unfortunate that the main people involved were all. Black, Afri- you know, African American Americans. You I know, uh, uh, it, 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 it's really sad because you know you have Jada and 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 Will Smith. Then you have the the Williams family. I mean, we can't not you have Chris we can't Rock, forget and them. then you have Chris Will Rock. Packer, who was the producer of the Oscars, and then you have the uh, Quest uh, Love. Quest Love. And I mean, the- you have all these people who had their moments. This, right. That was their moment. Right. And it's just you know, um, and this overshadowed everything. It did. Um, and that is, yeah, that's, that's something that I think Will does need to take some responsibility, con- yeah. responsibility for. Yes. Um, you may have been standing up for your wife and everything, but you shit all over a bunch of other black artists night. Uh, right. two of the hosts were black comedian, black women, female right. comedian. Like yes. it was, um, and this is after years of, 
fighting to get the Oscars more diverse. Right. Um, I'm not, you know, saying you let your people down or anything no, like it, that. But there's, there's, oh, there's aspects. There's so many aspects of that. I do think that. Um, I know there were a lot of black writers. I know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is not a black writer, but he came out and said that it was making black people look bad. And I gotta say, I ne- I. I never thought that, and that, that may mean nothing to any black people listening, but I also never really saw anybody saying no, that. No, no, no. I, I mean, I can't speak for the, for the, for the community. Obviously, Obviously not, but I think there, there are two different things here. You can analyze and you can talk about the issues uh, involving black people, you know, and, and you can do all that. Yes. But at the same time, you can acknowledge and talk about a zillionaire Hollywood star right. doing what he did on stage. In front of tens yeah. of millions of people right. worldwide. I think you can you can cover both and right. you can separate both if you have to, to talk a about lot. the issues. And this, yeah. I'm sorry to mean to talk over you. And this again is why we're still talking about this because there are so many aspects to it, so many nuances, so many ways of coming at the story that everyone's got to take, including us. All right, fine, fine, fine. But we would have done a, a an Oscars post mortem this week anyway, so it would seem weird if I think if we didn't talk about it somewhat. Right. Anyway, uh, do you have? Oh, Aside from from being horrible for all these people I just mentioned, yeah, you know, that their opportunity, their moment, uh, it is an interesting conversation to have, and you know, you you shine a light in right. major, more important issues, right? Um, that you know, maybe we should be having this conversation. I totally agree. Um, I think this is the last time we're going to talk about no, it, yeah. unless something I know another piece some of shocking development yeah. happens, but. Um, I'm not sorry we talked about it. It's it definitely falls within our purview of this podcast, and um, it's it's the story of the week, if not the month. I think the bottom line here is that it shocked everyone. Yeah, it really did. Nobody right. was expecting that. Um, and yes, of course, there's a war going on. Well, there's always a war going on, but things like these grab people's right. attention, and they talk about it. And I don't really feel like there's any reason to get mad about that, right? Or to judge people for it. Anyway, are we done with that? Yes. I am very happy to put that story to bed. Yes. Now let's talk about Julia, the new series from HBO Max, uh, starring Sarah Lancashire and David Hyde Pierce and Phoebe Newworth, uh, about the, I was going to say the life of Julia Child, but it's really about the period when she developed, um, it's post uh, the publication of her first book, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, and it, it's about that period. It actually, one of the things I really appreciated about it was that it picks up exactly where the movie Julia, yeah. Julia and Julia leads yeah. off. I Julia and Julia, the 2009 film where Meryl Streep played Julia Child, um, th- her story ends with the publication of the book. This begins with, there's a prologue, in, um, but it basically begins with a year after the publication yeah. of her book. <laughs> And when, how and when she got the idea right, to right. do her television show. Well, according show. to the showrunner, um, uh, showrunner Chris uh, Kaiser, he said that it, they they wanted to focus in one year of her life and the, the, the period where they created the show. Yeah. So. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. I, I know I'm not an expert on Julia Child, but I'm well-versed in the, uh, the broader strokes of her life right. and her uh, impact on the culture. Uh, and I knew that within the first episode, I was like, okay, they're hitting the major points of Julia Child's uh, importance and of her life and how things got, like the whole thing about 27 letters being written to the That's exactly right. 27 letters were written to the station after her first appearance. But they, um, 
it's a television series, which means they have right. to make someone's life episodic. Right. Which means it's 45 minutes devoted to one aspect where there's a rising and falling action and a resolution, and then you move right. on to the next episode. So in order to do that, you've got to create conflicts that didn't exist. You've got to create characters, that people that didn't exist. And because they wanted to focus more on her private life, I mean, you have to take some, you know... Liberty. <laughs> liberty here, because... It's her private life. You well, weren't there to, to know. To be fair, uh, Julia and Paul Child, her husband, were fairly um, open, I guess. Th- with their friends, there's right. lots of correspondence. There's, you know, there's a very famous picture of the two of them naked in a tub that they sent out to people. <laughs> oh and God, yeah, awesome. I mean, all that stuff about them being this randy couple and and being this world worldly and sort of these esthetes. Um, all that's very much on point. This is what I mean. They get it right. They get the broad strokes of it correct. But in order to create, we- not weekly, but episodic conflict, because it is about the development of the show. I mean, we right. don't even begin to shoot the first episode of her show until the end of the third episode of this oh, that's show. that's right, yeah. So, um, and only three episodes have been released. Uh, they were all dropped on HBO Max yesterday. Um, so they're taking their time and, you know, in in reality, I, from what I understand, the road to her show was not quite as bumpy as they're making it out to be. She did, in fact, make an appearance um, to promote her cookbook on a on a local broadcast about reading, and she did, in fact, cook an omelet on camera. To <laughs> and it was very well received. Twenty seven letters were sent to the station. This was WGBH. It was public broadcasting in the early sixties. That was a significant amount of letters, and in fact, that led to the development of her show, cooking yeah. show. But they create this whole series right, right. of things, which I'm not going to get. I'm not criticizing it. Right. I'm not going to spoil it. I think they like with any piece like this, uh, they want to incorporate everything else that was going on at the time. And and the again, the showrunner mentioned that that he wanted to include racism and homophobia and, and feminism and, and feminism and women's equality, all these things that were going on back in 1963. That he felt it was important to, you know, right. acknowledge and, and talk about it. Um, it. And in that sense, you could look at it very similarly to Mad Men in, in a lot of right. ways. It's set in the same period and it's hitting the same themes. Uh, like you said, homophobia and feminism and racism are driving the story in a lot of ways. Um so what they're doing is they're taking the life of a real person right. and the broad strokes of that life, fictionalizing parts of it, and using it to make points about the period. So it is Mad Men with Julia Child, basically. Yes. Except it has a much, much lighter touch. It is. Uh, it, was a, it was billed by HBO as a comedy. And I will say I laughed through it. Um, but it's a drama as well. So it's like a drama with a light touch. That's how I would take it that's how i would describe right. it correct i love that they kept her language because she used to swear and um yes and, she had and a that, foul mouth and had a very sexual yeah. <laughs> life yeah with her husband i love that they have all this yeah uh, i think it's great because that's the real uh julia um uh just in the first episode alone uh sarah lancaster who plays julian and we'll get into her performance in a second uh she drops like five or six well-known julia child I know, lines I know. um they they really do even if they're fictionalizing parts of Julia's life, I do think they get, they really get who Julia was. Again, the showrunner mentioned that he says, I because I read a lot of stuff and I watched many interviews, he says that they they wanted to create something, uh, but at the same time, they wanted to make sure that they had some of her lines, famous lines. Yeah. <laughs> 
so that people could okay right. this is about Julia this is not about something else yeah. um, I mean there's uh, hundreds and hundreds of hours of video right. of Julia Child she wrote a dozen books or more I think so there's so much material they can use to paint a picture of who she was and be accurate to her while they go off on these slight right. flights of fancy about what's going on around her like without giving anything away um, the producer who's so resistant to her in the story the white guy um that from everything I've read about him, it was actually his idea. Like he pushed the show. the The story is making him into a right, right. Uh, an antagonist to her, and that's fine. I don't think it's doing him any disservice or anything. No, no. And they also have a, a black producer, uh, black woman who's a yeah. She's a producer, and you know, uh, I read that there wasn't this this character doesn't no, exist. But was there was created. a woman involved named but Ruth Blackwood. Was, yeah. Yes, uh, there was a woman, and uh, the idea was that they did a lot of research research and 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 uh, realized that there were a lot of black people at the time working for the station right and they wanted to have these people represented uh their struggle and, right. you know and, and racism everything they went through and that woman gets subjected to a lot of microaggressions yes. in the first yes. few episodes um but i really like her character I by love, the way i love the love the, the actress is, is Brittany uh, bradford <laughs> she's uh, she's really good yeah um and David Hyde. Okay, so let's get into the performances. Sarah Lancashire is um, uh, Julia Child. I love her physicality. She's mm-hmm. much more physically um, embodies Julia Child. She does it much better than uh, uh, Meryl Streep ever did um, because Sarah Lancashire is a tall woman. Right. Not um, as tall as Julia, but tall. Tall. And they, I think they pad her a little bit, but it's good padding. They give her the broad shoulders that right. Julia had and the slight hunchback that Julia had. Um, so I think she embodies Julia's physicality quite well. I sometimes, it doesn't bother me that the voice isn't exactly right. The only thing that sometimes bothers me about the way she does Julia is she does a very delicate take on Julia. And the thing is, Julia was clumsy. Bless her heart. She was a bull in a china <laughs> yeah. shop. And that was the appeal of right, her. Right, right. She was a big, lusty, body woman. And I think Sarah Lancashire makes her into too much of a lady sometimes. And right. that's not really who she was or what where her appeal lies i i i also read a lot of critics saying that she plays her a little sad like you know yeah um and i don't know maybe because they're basing her performance on on Mara strips you know i don't know i don't know maybe they're comparing both i don't know i love her performance i, I love I her performance too. but um, it, uh, that was the one thing right i mean her eyes are very expressive yeah. the way she looks at you and right. she's thinking and you know her mind is just going crazy um yeah I mean, the whole thing while she's, you know, making an the omelet, omelet is hilarious. on TV, it's hilarious. And I don't think that video exists anymore, oh, but that is shame, yeah. exactly how it has been described many times over, is that she completely overtook the studio and, and yeah, <laughs> she was like nothing anyone had ever seen. Taking everything out of her bag and yeah. staring this little tiny table. Yeah, she Perfect. actually did show up at the studio and asked for a hot plate. Um <laughs> David Hyde Pierce is playing her husband, Paul Child, who was a diplomat for many years. And he is just this esthete of a man, very worldly and sophisticated, just the kind of role that's perfect for David Hyde Pierce. I think they have a great chemistry together. Uh, You you just feel the love. You feel that this is a couple who is madly in love with each other. Um, it's interesting because I go back and forth on that. I mean, they, I, I understand that they had the most wonderful relationship. They love each other. But at the same time, I feel like every now and then Julia is looking for his approval. And I don't and I wonder if it's looking for her approval as someone you love very much and you want to hear what he has to say. Or it's just that still that very 
husband and wife kind of rule. Well, let me just get into what I do know about Julia and what I believe the show is going to touch upon in future episodes. And Julia, I love her as a figure, as a as a cultural figure, but as also as a person. She had a fascinating life, and I just love trailblazers. I love people who... Um, no one believes uh-huh. in, and then right, they exactly. wind up changing the world. Who doesn't love that kind of story? However, Julia was famously a homophobe. I didn't know for that. much of her life. There's wow. a lot of written correspondence where she uses, um, you know, slurs to describe gay men around really? her. They're very like mid-century mm-hmm. um, Parisian sophisticated slurs. Like she didn't call anybody the you, faggot or anything like that. Um, but you know, fairy and that sort of thing, and. She also uh, was no feminist, and she was very mm-hmm. vocal on, on both of these things. She was vocal. She did not... These are not, like, scandalous things being said about her in private. She, there's written things. There's the even things she said in interviews about not wanting to be in a room full of women because it sounds like hens cackling, and she likes to be around men, and she likes the energy of men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was born in, like, 1912. or Yeah, I think it's 1912. She... she she was a woman of her generation, mm-hmm. and you have to, even if she was a trailblazer, even if she did change the world, you have to remember that she she was a woman born in 1912, and she was born into a wealthy, privileged family. That's right. I which mean, means her worldview is going to, and then she married a diplomat and traveled to right. all of Europe. So it's a rarefied existence. She didn't have a lot of... Um, uh, contact with ideas outside of her own sphere or, or financial struggles you know but it's <clears throat> ironic that she made her um her career and life in in cooking which is a, 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 an industry full of women and gay men right um so you can unpack and i hope the series does unpack um i don't think it's odd that she had these these attitudes for the time but i think it's notable that she was working around women and gay men constantly right in her life and she still felt the need and to, how did she yeah. unpack that mm-hmm. and that sort of thing there is something in the, that i don't quite agree with in the um series in the series where they talk about her um bb newworth plays her friend avis mm-hmm. and she's great in it and it's true that um uh, Julie Child had several very close, lifelong female friendships. Avis DeSoto was one of them. Simka, her collaborator, who was played by briefly in one scene by Isabella Rossellini. I know, hysterical. hilarious hysterical. scene. Hysterical. <laughs> uh, so it's not that she didn't have women, and of course, her editor was Judith Jones uh, at Knopf, and she's also portrayed in this. I'm not opposed to this portrayal of her having these allies in her life because she did, but the whole. There's this whole girl power undertone to the first several right. episodes. And I'm like, mm, I don't really think mm-hmm. that is how I would frame her life. And also, um, Paul, her husband, is portrayed as a lot more uh, resistant to the idea. He was her full-blown supporter. Now, mm-hmm. I think the series is going to get into how he became her full-blown supporter. He basically became her co-conspirator. Um you know, they ba- it was, they, right, it was right, a right. team thing. Like, there was no Julia Child without Paul Child kind of thing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that unpack. But, again, I don't want to make it sound... I, I, one of the things I, I'll, I'll admit I couldn't stand about a lot of the coverage of the Gilded Age was people who just ran down lists of 
what was historically inaccurate about right, right, this right, show right. because I really feel like when in fiction you have to of you course, have to be more open minded. I you, think I think you have I to, think I think you. It's have, not you have a to. documentary, right. and you have to be open minded about right. creative decisions. So I'm not criticizing most of these decisions, except for the there's a bit where she says something like estrogen power, and I'm like, oh no, that's. The, I'm sorry, but that's the one line I think right. that does not sum it up. Aside from that, all of the creative choices that they make, I'm fine with. I understand why they made them. Uh, it, and they're using her to unpack a lot about early 60s, uh, a lot of white middle class early 60s yes. stuff. Yes. yes. Go ahead. What no, I totally say? agree. And I, I, and I think, and I mentioned this to you, you know, I watch shows like this because I, I'm, I'm entertained by it. I, I, you know, it's entertainment, but at the same time, I'm always fascinated by um, bringing up these subjects and and these topics again, you right. know that people kind of forget about it, or some or some people, the younger generation, don't even know about it. That the fact that this was the first cooking show on right. television, they didn't know what to do, and the the scene where they're like, "Oh, we need a stove." Oh, wait a minute, right? Like they don't they know what find to do. A knife. That they're 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 practicing at home right. and timing how they're going to do it, and then they come up with the idea of like having the the food ready, right? Um, you know, to show the food ready. Oh, um, you should eat it on camera at the end. It's all this stuff that right. is standard for now, cooking shows yeah. now. I do want to correct. There was um, an early cooking show, um, uh, nineteen forty, yeah, something, or something like that. Like but that, yeah. uh, you know, it, but no one remembered it. Right. So Julia and and WGBH and her producers really did basically come up with the format of the modern cook the not just the modern cooking show all cooking shows right. since 1963 exactly. it is you know um pre-prepared in, you know portions it's the camera overhead so you can see what she's doing and at the end she sits down and takes a bite of it all of that is in basically every cooking show across the world right and this is what i mean about her being a trailblazer um i said to you last night when we were watching it about i noted that it's kind of interesting that they pick up right where the movie leaves off. But, and I said, and if you ask me, this is way more interesting. The story of the development of her television, but I don't want to take anything away. The, the writing of the art of French cooking was first off a 10 year effort on her part. And there was a huge battle uh, to be taken seriously as an American who, um, well, she was trained, Um, but as an American woman, and then she had to convince all her edit, you know, editors in America that the public wanted to read this. And when the book was published, the, the book is still a classic. It literally did, over time, change how Americans looked at cooking and how it looked at international food. So uh, I don't want to take any of that away from her. She trailblazed twice in her life. She changed right. Americans' attitudes about cooking, and then she changed television. Public television. Public television. television. And yeah. created the cooking show. Like, right. So I cannot uh, overstate how much of a trailblazer she was, but I actually find the development of her television show just that's more easy to right. see on screen. It's hard to to depict writing on screen and the difficulty of writing, but developing that show is just that it's much more innately entertaining to watch. It's a great idea for a series, right? And especially because television just, had just become a thing. You yeah, know, everything yeah. about it. Uh, it was all new. Yeah, uh, it, it was all new. I remember when we went to DC into the Smithsonian. We went to Smithsonian to see her kitchen, and we saw her kitchen. I'm so glad we did because I, uh, when I wrote my, uh, when we were writing our first book, uh, I had a postcard of her kitchen on the mood board over my desk because her first book wasn't published until she was uh, in her late 40s or something at that time, and I was in my early 40s, and I'm like, yes, late bloomers, Julia Child, she's my, you know, this is why, despite her. 
her years of homophobia, I, I, I don't hold it against her. And I should say here that when the AIDS crisis came, uh, she changed her mind completely. Really? Oh, she raised mm-hmm. all sorts of funds and she talked about the tragedy of these people, the oh, way the men were being treated and right. everything like that. She completely changed in her life and that needs to be acknowledged. Right. I'm not you- sure she ever changed her mind about women, but she did change her mind about... And from my understanding is that she... This is perhaps not surprising because she was a world traveler. Um, she was not racist as far as i know she was pretty open-minded mm-hmm. about uh ra- about black people and having them work for her and everything like that in terms of the period so she she's she, complicated like most people right right but she she changed the way women cook and and see food and, and right. cooking shows and all that i mean it, it's a major change i mean the scene when she goes to the supermarket and she went by she, she's buying all the ingredients and, and they say, whoa, are you going to shop here? Yeah, of course. That's where American Be- women shop. You we know? should put point out that uh, they show her shopping at the local like gourmet food mart for all of her food. Thing, yeah. But when it came time to develop recipes for the TV show, she insisted on going to a regular supermarket, supermarket yeah. buying whatever chicken they had in the case and buying dried herbs. Like if she were doing it the French way, it would, you know, she would get right. go to a butcher. She would get fresh herbs. But this was her brilliance, was that she understood if I want to change the way American housewives cook, mm-hmm. I I have to go to where they buy their ingredients and figure it out from that point. And that is one of the most brilliant things about Julia was that she took this ancient and highly regarded form of cuisine. French cuisine is one of the most highly regarded right. in the world. Um, and she made it palatable and understandable to people who were not trained in right. cooking at all. And understanding the visual impact that something right. has, right. as opposed to just reading a cookbook. You know, right. you are actually watching someone uh, in a kitchen doing what you do on a daily basis. So it, it, it's fantastic. It's, it's magical. Um, and I want to say that the show looks great. That's it's some beautiful. of the best yeah. um, mid-century uh Production design and costume design since Mad Men. It, everything looks extremely on point. One of the producers also produced uh, The Wonderful Life. With the wonderful uh, life. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yes, thank you. And there's a little bit of that energy to the show, but it doesn't have that mad cat no. feel to it. It's somewhat similar, though, in that it's just well-dressed, upper-middle-class white mm-hmm. women changing history in the early 60s. But um, I like the, the the lighting and everything. I always I'm yeah. always paying attention to the way things are lit. Right. I, I just love the lighting and and the colors. Yeah. I, I do love. It's child, a beautiful show. Yeah. The child's had a beautiful home in Cambridge, yes. which they donated. I think it's it's no longer. I think it's a private owner now, but it's a well documented house. The kitchen is recreated beautifully on set. That is exactly her kitchen. Um, because it's an iconic kitchen. If you know the blue pegboard, yeah, or the fact that the, right, the right. counters are high because she was tall. If you know all these things, they they recreate it perfectly. So, very much a thumbs up. It it is. Um, but you do have to take. It's not a biopic. Right. It is a television series, so it's episodic, and there's lessons learned at the end of each episode. And this is not going to feel like real life to you. It's not a documentary. Exactly. It's a television show. It's constructed like right. one, and the cast is marvelous. It looks all great. great. Yeah. It's unpacking some really interesting stuff about that period using someone you would never use to unpack these things. Think to use right. Julia. Like, I, I'm not sure. She's the first person I would think of to talk about, you know, race in America in the 60s or to talk about <laughs> feminism or anything like that. But they're managing to use her as a funnel for all these other things. Um, 
Yeah, it's just I, would, I highly recommend. Yeah, it. yeah, I would give it an A. I really enjoyed yeah, the three too. episodes I watched. They're all, they were all almost fifty minutes long, but we sat down and binged them in one sitting. So I can't wait to watch more. Yeah. I agree, and I think yes, that is the end of the yes. podcast. So well, thank you, darling, thank for you. everything. Yes, actually. always, <laughs> always for supporting us through this crazy busy month, and uh, we'll be back next week with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desk. So until then, take care of yourselves. Love you, mean it. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.